0: Hey, this is Dan Reeves. I'm the lead pastor of Journey Church in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Welcome to our podcast. Before we get going, we just wanna take a moment to thank you for tuning in. We believe that you matter, not only to us, but to Jesus. Our hope is that you find something new and life-giving in Him today. Here's today's message. Well, good morning once again. Uh, man. what a great time of worship uh, today. We are just getting started in the second part of our series called Dwell. And so if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles. Uh, if you have a copy, uh, Exodus chapter 3 is where we're going to be hanging out today. If you don't have a copy uh, of Scripture for yourself, uh, we've always had some for access to you uh, at the Worship Center. It's our free gift to you. If you need a copy of a Bible uh, for us, uh, we would love to give you one. We believe that uh, it is the Word of God. To us, and uh, God reveals Himself and empowers us to follow Him through that. And so uh, there's no better gift that we could give you than, than that. Uh, we started this series last week. Uh, we're going through the book of Exodus over the duration of the summer, and uh, we're calling it Dwell because it really uh, has this continuing theme of God's desire uh, to be personally present with His people. Uh, And uh, you don't have to go very far in Scripture to find that out. As a matter of fact, Genesis 1 and 2 uh, reveal to us that God's heart is that He wants to not just create something uh, as a work of art and set it off to look at, but He wants to be uh, personally engaged with that creation. And so He creates men and women. Uh, He puts us in place within creation, and we are supposed to be the caretakers. We're supposed to be the ones that uh, walk through the creation and become the image of God within creation uh, for God's glory. Well, obviously, as the story goes, it doesn't take long before uh, the wheels come off of that thing based on pride, arrogance, selfishness of mankind. uh, They turn away from God and they turn to themselves. And so the book of Genesis outlines for us really just the breakdown. Uh, There's this downward spiral uh, of uh, humanity uh, and the the links that we will go to to actually turn away from God. And when we do that, obviously we bring destruction upon ourselves and on the creation because we're a big part of what God has placed within His creation. Well, God, even through the pain, even through the turning away, has been intricately involved. Last week, we started by understanding what God was doing is that even though it seemed like God was absent uh, within that, that God was active. And God is always active within creation. But God is patient god is kind and god is powerful and what he wants to do within his creation is he wants to continue to redeem reconcile and restore god's people and creation itself to be in the presence of god Matter of fact, if you flip all the way to the end of the Bible, we were at Genesis, now you go to the end, what you begin to see is that the the summation of God's plan is that God once again will reside with His people. That uh, there will be a new heaven and a new earth and God will come and He will make all things new. And so within that storyline, within that overarching narrative, we have men and women uh, through time that God interacts with, and through those men and women, God begins to bring about that salvation. He begins to bring about that restoration. And there's lots of famous people across uh, across the board. Uh, And and we get the highlight reel somewhat of those people. We get their ups and their downs, their weaknesses, their failures, we get their successes, And what we begin to see is the consistency of God. And what it also reveals is it reveals a lot about who God is. Because if we're going to know who we are, if we're going to know what God's up to, then God has to reveal Himself to us. We have to be able to see Him for who He is. And so the narrative of Scripture is given to us so that we can actually see how God interacts with creation. And as He interacts with these men and women throughout history, and the way that He interacts with us, there are some consistencies. There's consistent ways that we see that God acts. And so what we're going to do today in uh, Exodus chapter 3 is we're going to look at somewhat of a template uh, of how God interacts in, in with, with creation, with uh, with a particular God named Moses at this time through a personal calling that He has. And we're going to extrapolate from that uh, some things that we learn about ourselves, but we're also going to extrapolate from that some things that we learn about who this is this God is, because that's really the narrative. Who is this God? And so when we get the person of Moses, famous guy uh, that a lot of people have heard of, even if you're not from uh, a Christian faith uh, or church is not normal to you, uh, you may have heard that name before. I mean, he's a pretty famous name just within history itself. uh, And so chances are you've heard that. Well, Moses was one of the very first prophets, okay? A prophet was someone that was sent by God, Uh, to speak on behalf of God to God's people. And so God works through individuals. In this case, he's working through Moses to bring about uh, the fruition of his restoration plan for his people that are now in captivity in Egypt. And so as we play through this story, I want to give you a quick template, real quick, because this is going to guide our time, and we're going to bookend it with this, but I wanted to give you somewhat of a roadmap map today, because what we're going to do is we're going to work straight down through Exodus chapter 3, just verse by verse, and as we go, I want you to have kind of like some mile markers, if you will. And so here's kind of the template that we see in Moses' life, and the interaction that God has with him that becomes somewhat of a template for how God speaks to other prophets. And I would argue is the same way he works in your life and the same way he works in my life. So let me give you kind of the roadmap real quick. The first thing you're going to see uh, in this passage is you're going to see a time of preparation. Okay, we're going to kind of fly by that. But uh, don't make Don't make the mistake of thinking, well, that's not important because that's a huge part of this whole equation. There's a time of preparation in all of our lives for what God wants us to do. And you really can't fast forward preparation. At the end of the divine preparation time, oftentimes what you're going to see is there's a divine call. Uh, There's a time in your life and in my life, and in this case, Moses' life, where God, uh, he actually speaks to Moses and he says, hey, here's what I want you to do. Uh, some of us, we, we wrestle with this. I mean, what do I want, to, what you want me to do, God? Uh, God has a plan for every person. Uh, it doesn't mean that you're going to be a pastor or anything like that necessarily or a missionary often to a foreign land. But what it does mean is that God has a divine call for you, that God has pre- prepared in advance things for you to do uh, exactly with your gifting, filled with the Spirit, to actually be a part of this overarching narrative of bringing restoration and redemption to God's creation. The other thing that you're going to see is you're going to see in Moses' life and in ours that oftentimes there's a confession of weakness. This is that moment when you go like, I, this is too big for me. I don't know that I'm uh, adequate for this task that you're calling me to. Uh, I, God, if you don't act, uh, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Uh, This is actually a really good position to be in. Sometimes we think that this is where we stall out. But what we're going to find in Moses' life is this is exactly the place where God begins to transition and put him in a position of use. The fourth thing that we're going to see here on the mile marker is the promise of God's presence that what God is going to do in response to uh, our confession of weakness is God is going to promise His presence with us. That means that uh, where we go, He's going to go. And that what He's called us to do, He's going to empower us to do it. So that while we're weak, He's strong, He's going to come through, through us to actually be a part of this narrative. And then the last thing actually comes with a solidification or the awareness of being sent The awareness of being sent, that means that we actually begin to embrace as individuals that we are sent by God. It's one thing for God to call us. It's another thing for us to actually embrace that and say, okay, I want to be a part of that. And so we're going to work down through this, and hopefully you'll be able to identify somewhere where you're on the roadmap here, where you are on the journey, uh, and you might be in a couple of different places and a couple of different areas in your life. But let's just see if what this reveals about God actually can drop down into our story. So let's jump into the story, Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, and we're going to begin with that point or that period of preparation. This is how it starts. Now, Moses was tending the flock... Of Jethro, <coughs> excuse me, father, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, uh, let's just get some geography down first, okay? Uh, and let's get some uh, kind of some history. If you were here last week, you you probably remember this, uh, but if you weren't. Uh, Here's kind of an abridged version of it. Uh, Moses, who, who actually was basically rescued by Pharaoh's daughter, uh, his, uh, you know, the ph- Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had put this edict out, said, hey, we're gonna kill all the baby, baby boys. Uh, the mom of Moses places him in a basket, puts him in the Nile River among the reeds, strategically places him where Pharaoh's daughter will find him. He gets raised uh, up in Pharaoh's palace. And so God provides salvation to him through this little baby ark. And uh, he is raised for the next 40 years within Pharaoh's palace. Uh, He was one of the ones uh, who just enjoyed the privileges of what it meant to be a part of Pharaoh's family with all the rights and privileges that came with that. Uh, Had an awesome future ahead of him. But God had a different calling on his life that Moses had not fully embraced or been aware of yet even. Uh, As a matter of fact, what ends up happening is he sees uh, one of uh, the Egyptians uh, that uh, was now subjugating uh, the Israelites, the Hebrews. He was beating one of them and Moses gets so angered he steps in, he ends up beating this man and the man dies. He commits murder of this Egyptian. Uh, as it often happens, he tries to hide what he had done. He buries this body in the sand. Uh, and, but what ends up happening as the story goes out is everybody finds out about it. Pharaoh finds out about it, and he went from being a son to being a fugitive. And he runs off. Um, far, far away. And and where we find him now is what's present-day Saudi Arabia. Uh, He's actually traveled some distance. He's gone across the Sinai Peninsula, uh, and he has carved out kind of a witness protection plan uh, right now type of thing. He is a fugitive. Uh, He is running for his life. And where we find him right now is in the middle in a new location, and it's an interesting location. God, even through his failure and being a fugitive, is already preparing him even in the midst of his failure. What's ended up happening is he's actually now in the location where Sinai is. Mount Sinai is going to be the place where God encounters with his people, where the Ten Commandments come. And there's some argument, but uh, many people believe that Mount Horeb, this mountain of God, is the exact same mountain of Mount Sinai. And so this will become the place. And so if you play that narrative out, you can see how it plays out. Uh, Moses has failed. Um, It seems like the story should be over before it even gets started of God saving the people of Israel. Because the one that it seems like God was setting apart, now he's committed sin that would seem to disqualify him from actually doing uh, the delivering, actually being the prophet that God had called him to be. And so as he's hiding, look at where he's hiding. He's hiding and he's traveled the exact same path and he's actually in the exact same spot that God is going to lead the people of God to. And not only that, but as he's there, the preparation is that now as a shepherd, he's gone from being a um, kind of this royal um, uh, prince, if you will, to now he's out in the field and he's shepherding a flock in the wilderness. Sound familiar, right? And so he is learning the lay of the land. He's learning what it means to survive, basically, out in the wilderness. And ultimately, he has already become familiar with the place where God is ultimately going to meet with his people. He's going to move through the preparation from just shepherding a, a flock of sheep to actually shepherding two million people that are now making the trek out of captivity and bondage into God's promised land. And so the preparation phase is interesting because God is already, even through his failure, working out his future. And this future takes a long time. Preparation takes a long time. He spent the first 40 years of his life actually in the palace, but we also learn from Acts chapter 7 that this next 40 years he spends in this location. A matter of fact, if you, if you would just jot it down, you can read it for yourself. But Acts chapter 7 says, But the man who is mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Remember that? That was from last week. They're quoting what we read last week. Verse 29 says, When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, that's where we find him, and where he settled as a foreigner and he had two son, and had two sons after 40 years had passed an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai so 40 years in the palace 40 years in the wilderness he is now 80 years old and so God prepared him by familiarizing him with Egypt and Pharaoh's palace and then God familiarized him with his future of what he was going to be called to do. Now, do you think anywhere along the line in those 40 years, he was dreaming, Moses was dreaming, I bet God is still at work. I bet he's, I bet he's going to use me in a powerful way to take me all the way back to Egypt. Absolutely not. He was running for his life. To go back to Egypt, to make himself known in Egypt, would have been a death sentence For him. Uh, He was a fugitive from the law. And you've got to know that uh, if this is a famous person, this is somebody that turned against Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh was not kind to to, uh, unloyalty or disloyalty. And so as he ran away, this would have been a very public uh, scandal. Uh, I mean, some of y'all been watching uh, I would assume, some of the stuff that's going on with Prince Harry and le- le- leaving uh, uh, the palace and leaving being a prince and how that's been kind of a, all over the tabloids and they did a big interview and all that kind of stuff. I, I imagine for a second that, uh, uh, that this same kind of environment back then, well, this would have been notable. This would have been notable for Moses to actually leave the palace, but not leave just because of, uh, of an incident, but because of something that he had done. And they would have really wanted to bring him back and make a public spectacle of him to actually turn against Pharaoh. This would have been a a beautiful picture uh, from their mind of how how they could actually deal and really uh, basically squash any kind of rebellion uh, because the poster child, Moses, would have been actually brought in their mind to justice. But through all this, what's happening? God is preparing him. For 40 years and then 40 more years. And so just take that into account for just a second in your life. Maybe you're in a point of preparation. I don't know where everybody is in here. But maybe God is working through your story in the midst of your own failure. Things that you thought would have disqualified you. God is actually going to begin to work and use that very thing to actually help you to do. Excuse me, where what He's actually called you to do. So Acts chapter 7 mentioned to us that there was an incident. There was a moment, a divine moment. Remember, time of preparation, a divine call. And Acts chapter 7 says that famously there was this moment where Moses sees a burning bush near Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. So let's talk about that incident for just a second. Verse 2, we're introduced to that moment. There the angel of the Lord, Yahweh, uh, appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So uh, we don't have time to preach everything in here or teach everything in here, but I, I wanted to reference this angel of the Lord. I, I put Yahweh up there because we learned last week and we're gonna dip down more into it next week. I really wanted to do it this week, but there's just not time to get to everything. Um, but Yahweh was the covenant name of God, this God that was covenantally committed to bring about uh, this righteous act of redemption uh, among His people. And so, when you see the word Lord in Scripture, just a quick reminder, if you see it capitalized, it is the name Yahweh. But this is unique because it says the angel of the Lord. And it's a little confusing for people because you're like, okay, what is the angel? Is this just like Gabriel or is this another angel? Um, It's a whole teaching series because there's about 67 instances in the Old Testament where the angel of the Lord is actually referenced. But I want to give you the first three real quick, and you can go back and look them up because before this instance, there were three other instances of the angel of the Lord meeting with God's people personally, a personal presence. The first one you see was in Genesis 16 with Hagar. Hagar was uh, uh, basically the mistress of Abraham. And there's a, there's a moment where uh, Hagar is mistreated uh, she is running basically away, and in that the angel of the Lord meets with Hagar, and he comes basically in what we would see the closest thing we can really uh, describe it as as in human form that what God does is called a theophany it's an appearance of God, and so God comes and he meets with Hagar so much so that uh, the way that she she actually names God there as the one who sees, and she says. This is the one who sees me, and now I have seen. And so when we see the angel of the Lord, basically what that sets up for us is this is a time when God reveals himself in a very personal way. Uh, You don't just see it there. You also see it in Abraham's life in Genesis chapter 22. (coughs) This is when they go up to the mountain. It's the whole incident uh, of Isaac and the sacrifice and all that. And the angel of the Lord appears to Abraham and stops his hand from following through on this act. And then finally you see it in Genesis 32. Uh, This is when Jacob wrestles with the angel of the Lord, or wrestles with God. Uh, And at the end of that story, for the rest of his life, Jacob pretty much walks with a limp because uh, God touches his hip and puts his hip out of socket, and then he has to walk with that for the rest of his life. These are the three instances leading up to this where God appears in what we would call somewhat of a human-type appearance, a face-to-face, if you will, with his people. But this is unique. This is a turn in the story because this is unlike the first three. Uh, The first three are very face-to-face, personal, personal, this, if you go back to verse 2, is actually in a burning bush. It did not burn up. So here's what I want to catch real quick with this. What you see about God throughout the Old Testament uh, frequently and then into the New is oftentimes when, you, um, when, when He's referenced, when God is referenced, uh, He's referenced through uh, what they would see from an ancient mindset specifically uh, what would be basically what they would see as the most powerful force that they could uh, imagine? Uh, there's a lot of things today. Like we can say, okay, well, we, there's all these things in the world. We we know a little bit more about physics from a scientific perspective, but if you can think about it for a second, what would have been the most powerful force that they could imagine? It, it it would have been fire. I mean, this is what they used to cook food, it's what they used to heat uh, their, their homes with, uh, and they saw it consume the land. All these types of things, fire was synonymous with power. But what's interesting about this, this this uh, bush does not burn up. And so when we think about God, we're thinking about power, but we're thinking about it in terms of this bush is not consumed. Now. Uh, I'm, I'm not an expert on fire, but I do know that fire, in order to burn, has to have three things. It has to have fuel, it has to have heat, and it has to have oxygen. Uh, and if you could take one of those out, uh, then you're going to take the fire out. The fire is going to be put out. And so you, you've got to address that. But what we know, is it has to have those three things in order to survive. But what we see with this bush that's not burning up is this is reflective of the self-sustaining power of God. This is fuel that never burns out. This is not dependent on anything else. It is a fire that is not consumed, but just exists as self-sustaining power. Now, this is always reflective of God. And when we see this later, you're going to see them being directed or led by fire uh, through the wilderness. God's going to come uh, through fire. Uh, You see it in places like Mount Carmel with Elijah. And then even into the New Testament we see the fire becoming synonymous with the power, the self-sustaining power of God. Let me, let me just fast forward to the New Testament real quick because what I want you to see is this is not just a phenomena in the Old Testament. This is actually something that after Jesus, we get to experience today. Okay, Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, you may be familiar with this story. This is after Jesus is resurrected. He's ascended. The Holy Spirit comes down on the day called Pentecost, 50 days after the, uh, the resurrection of Jesus. They were all together on the day of Pentecost. And suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. And they separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So what's enabling, what's happening here is the same God that we see in Exodus chapter 3 is now visiting his people in Acts chapter 2. It's the same Spirit, this is Yahweh, he's coming, and now he's coming in a different way, But it's the same occurrence. What God was calling him to do, he was empowering Moses to do. And what God is calling us to do, God is empowering us to do. What was he empowering them to do at this particular junction in Acts chapter 2? He was empowering them to actually proclaim the gospel of Jesus. Uh, the announcement of the resurrection, the person of Jesus. And this is basically what God has called all of us to do. And God is empowering each of us to do it. Each of us, no matter on who you are. Matter of fact, if you follow down through the passage, just real quick snapshot, verse 16 in Acts chapter 6 says this. Peter actually explains this to everybody because everybody was confused He says, no, this is what was spoken about by the prophet Joel. In these last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, on your sons and daughters, Uh, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see vision. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So remember what happened in Exodus chapter 3. We're saying this is somewhat of a template for a prophet. A prophet is what? Someone who speaks and is called to lead God's people. And so when we get to Acts chapter 2, what happens? The Spirit is not just on somebody in a meeting on a burning bush in one specific location. But now when we follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in the enabling and the power and the presence of God comes personally with each individual, men and women, young and old, Comes to all of us to do what? To prophesy, to publicly proclaim, and to lead God's people. And so this is the story. This is how we see this whole thing play out. And this is important for us to know because sometimes we read Moses' story or David's story or Daniel's story, and we're like, oh man, that's a really good lesson for us. It was not intended just to be a nice story for us, it was supposed to reveal who God is, how God works and how he has called and equipped each of us to respond to his activity. And so God now, through the blood of Jesus and through the Holy Spirit, has now broadened it so it's not just one individual, but God is going to work through all of his people through the Spirit. So with that in mind, jump back to Exodus chapter 3, and let's watch this story play out. So Moses thought, hey, I'll go over and I'll see this strange sight while this bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God, and this is a different word from Yahweh, this is Elohim, called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, Here I am. A couple of quick things on this. This is always a part of the calling of God. Um, What happens? Moses is going along and he sees a strange sight. He sees a bush that's burning, and he's seen things burn before. I mean, what do you have to have? Oxygen? Fuel? And heat. But eventually, the, the oxygen or the fuel, in this case a bush, would have been dissolved. There would be no more energy left in it, in it to burn. But remember, we've got self sustaining power of God, and He's revealing Himself in the most powerful form that an ancient person could have even imagined uh, experiencing anything through. He's experiencing, uh, He's engaging with His creation through fire. And in doing so, uh, what we see from Moses, and we see some integral things for us of we're going to follow God in our calling as well. The first thing I want you to see of two is first is there's interest. The second thing I want you to see is there's intentionality. You see that both those things referenced there. Now, here's the thing. If God is revealing himself to us, our response to God is always going to need to involve our interest and our intentionality. Uh, Here's what I mean. Interest means that I'm actually aware that God may want to meet with me. Now, my question, really just on a very surface level, is how many of you today expect God to meet with you? You're interested. Uh, You've conceived and said, well, maybe God is there. Maybe God wants to speak to me. Maybe God wants to move in my life. Maybe God wants to use me. There has to be some level of interest on our part to even notice what God is doing. The other thing that it's going to take for each of us is intentionality. You see it in that passage, don't you? Well, what is intentionality look like? Well, for us, intentionality means that we're setting apart moments where we're noticing because of interest, we're trying to look for where God would speak to us. Now, in modern day vernacular, there's a few ways that God does this, I believe, that are tried and true. The first way is this, is that if you are interested in God speaking to you, if you want to move with intentionality, then here's what I wanna tell you. The best place to start Is time alone with God. Uh, To open scripture yourself and ask God to speak with you. Now, some of us are we're freaked out when we get to the Bible because we don't understand it. As a matter of fact, right now, in this moment, we've got our journey rhythms. Uh, class going on. It's a seven-week class to introduce you to the rhythms of what we think are important for every believer uh, here at Journey to know. And today, what's being taught over there is how to study Scripture, how to open up Scripture and actually spend time alone with God through Scripture. Now, if we want to hear from God, it means that we will carve out intentional time to actually spend alone with God. And this is how we begin to notice the voice of God. But that's not the only way. We can also spend time with God's people in worship. That's what we're doing here today. This involves two things. Uh, It involves anticipation and participation. Anticipation means that when we come on a Sunday, we're actually anticipating meeting with God. We're not just going to say, okay, we're going to sit for a little bit, we're going to sing a little bit, and we're going to see what songs they pick today, and we're going to listen to Dan or whoever, I don't know who's going to preach today, but we're going to kind of listen to that. We're going to say hi to a few people. No, we've got to see that when we come on a Sunday, the anticipation is not what songs we sing, it's not who you're going to see out there. We are carving out this time collectively. Y'all could be doing a lot of other stuff right now, and so could I, right? Um, we're carving this time out because what we're saying is we're anticipating that what God wants to do is He wants to meet with us as individuals, but here's something even bigger, that God may want to meet with us collectively. God may want to speak to us to break us into what He calls us to be and to do. And so that's why it's a priority for us to spend time alone with God because you can meet God alone in ways that you could never do us together. But I would also suggest that you can meet with God in ways when you meet with God's people in worship that are vastly different than what you can do in time alone. Some of you are introverts and you love the alone time, but this is a struggle for you. Some of you are extroverts and you love this, but spending time alone with God is kind of hard. But what God calls us to do is to engage on both with anticipation and to participate. That means that we are not spectators here. We're not sitting back and listening and evaluating when there's a new song, when there's a time to pray, when you're being prompted, when the Spirit is moving. All of us participate in that because we are God's people. We are not spectators. This is not a movie. This is not a concert. This is not a TED Talk. This is a time for us to actually participate with God. But here's two other ways with intentionality. Not just time alone with God, and not just time alone, uh, time with God's people, but time of seeing the supernatural move of God. Now this freaks uh, a lot of people out. What do you mean supernatural move of God? What What did he notice? What did Moses notice? There was a burning bush over there. This is not normal. Here's what I, I think, Veronica and I have been talking about this over the course of this year for us, is... We can get so common, so routine in kind of the Christian subculture that we miss the fact that God is moving supernaturally around us. Some of y'all may have grown up, those of you that were in church, so there was a Bible study called Experiencing God. And one of the things in Experiencing God that this author, a theologian named Henry Blackaby always went back to is he says, see where God is working and follow him there or go there. And so what that means is that we have to kind of have a radar up where we're, we're looking and say, see where God is moving. I use the word radar because here's what I, I would guess about you. And, and the only reason, I, maybe I'm imputing this on you, but this is something I do. Uh, several times a week, maybe several times a day, I look at the radar on my phone. Uh, I pull up Region 8 news app. I'll see what Ryan Vaughn has to say, or Brian McCormick has to say. I'll say, okay, hey, what's going on today? And I will look at the radar. Why? Because what I want to see is I want to see how that dictates my day. I want to know what to wear. I want to know, hey, is it going to be hot? Well, it's going to be hot now, okay? We just turned the corner on that. Uh, Is it going to rain? Do I need a plan for that? Do I need to move what I was thinking about doing? Do we need to shift that to a different time as a church, not have that picnic, so on and so forth? Here's the thing. We do that with weather all the time. My question is, as spiritual people in here, how many times a week, how many times a day, are you looking at a spiritual radar to see where is God moving? Where is He moving? And if we are honest... I would dare say we probably look at the weather radar more than we look at our spiritual radar. We're more concerned with whether or not it's going to be raining or not than we are whether God's moving or not. And that is not supposed to be true of God's people. Our priorities are to see, God, where are you moving? And to actually follow Him there. Do you believe Audience response, do you believe that God can move in supernatural ways? Yes? Yes. I mean, if not, we just need to sell this joint and go somewhere else, right? It, we're, we're here because by definition, we believe in the supernatural move of God in our personal lives and in our world. And if we're doing this religiously every week, and we go back out into the world and we are not anticipating and looking for the supernatural move of God and how we can join him in. Then my fear is what this will become for us is just mind numbing, empty religion that is good for not, not good for you and it's certainly not good for anybody else. That's where the pain and the power struggles come from. I mean, the evangelical world right now is run amok with people that are more concerned about positions of power than the presence of God. And I do not want that to be true of this church. I do not want it to be true of me. I want us to focus on what Scripture says in obedience to that and through the power of the Spirit, see where God is moving. Because I believe that as you see those things, and as I see those things, we will hear the fourth part of that, the still small voice of God. God speaks through His Word. God speaks through His people. God speaks through the supernatural. And God speaks through the still small voice of the Spirit. What is that? That means that as as you're spending time in God's Word yourself, you are learning and training your ear to actually hear God's voice. Now, I'm kind of hanging out on this a little longer than I meant to, but supernatural move of God, I think this is where the Spirit's going. So we're going to follow him there for just a second. Um, last week or two weeks ago, we were going out uh, to Joe Matt Campbell Park over by my house. And uh, we went up, and we almost didn't go because we pulled up there and they were taking money. <laughs> so we were like, oh, we're not going to go. Uh, but he, the guy said, he said, hey, are you here, to, um, you here to watch soccer? And I was like, absolutely not. I'm not here to watch soccer. Uh, and he said, okay, well, you can go on through. You don't have to pay. And I'm like, okay, cool. We'll walk. All right, so we walked. And as we walked, I heard the soccer games. And can I tell you what I heard? This is what I heard. I heard parents, family members, grandmas and grandpas, they're all around the soccer field. All these kids running around out there. And some of y'all were there probably. And you were doing this or you heard this. You heard, go, 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 go. Stop, 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 stop. No, 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 no. I mean, it was just a, like... I mean, these kids, let's be honest, I mean, y'all are confusing them, right? (laughs) Y'all are just yelling stuff. They're like running. All they want to do is kick the ball. You know, everybody wants to kick the goalie's coming out and trying to kick the ball. You know, so, but here, it makes me think of life in God's voice. Because here's the thing all those kids are out there and all they hear is a sea of voices around them, and it just becomes noise. And it's the same way with us we got so much noise in our lives right now through social media. Everybody's telling us how to interpret everything in our world. you got news outlets, whichever is your favorite, telling you how you're supposed to respond and what you, should, what you should be outraged about and the newest controversy. And before you know it, what's happened is all you're doing is you're running back and forth like those little kids on a soccer field. And you know how many goals are probably scored at the end of that? Most of the time, not very many. And the reason for that is, is there is a lot of, a lot of energy and a, a lot of yelling happening, a lot of running, but not very much fruits happening. And when I look at the church, I'll be quite honest with you, that's what I see. I see a lot of people that are running around with a lot of voices telling us all what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to respond, how we're supposed to think. But there's one voice where God wants to speak to us and he wants to tell us exactly what he wants us to do. How do you build the awareness to hear that voice? Well, how do you build that with anybody in your life? My kids recognize my voice. Why? Because they hear me talk to them. And so if I'm out in public and, man, we're at Target or somewhere like that or, heaven forbid, Walmart, please don't let me go there. But... If we get separated, I can call out to them and they can hear my voice out of all the other voices that are going on and they can come to me because they've been trained to listen to my voice. Now in culture today, in our callings, my question is, have you trained yourself? Have I trained myself? Have we as a church trained ourselves to hear the voice of God? Because I would suggest to you And I would argue and debate this to the end of my days that God is calling you and calling us to more than what we're doing and more than what we are. But we've got to hear his voice. And we've got to respond to his voice. But there's some obstacles. And there was obstacles in Moses' life. I'm going to have to cut this other thing short. I'll figure out where we're going to cut in just a second. I don't know. Anyway, go on to the next slide. So Moses thought, I will go over and I will see this strange sight. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do you see that little connecting part in verse four? He says, I will go over. That's intentionality, right? He was interested. There was intentionality. I'm going to go over. And then when God saw that he went over, that's when God spoke. I think some of us are waiting In the wings over here, say God. Just if if you want to intervene, just holler at me. You know, shoot me a text. You know, send me a billboard. I don't know something. And God does that sometimes. God will totally do that because He's a good and faithful God. But the way that God typically chooses to work is He chooses to work in tandem with us. It's His sovereignty is not such that He is just going to dial you in like a robot and just work through you, and you're just kind of like a puppet. And that is not the God of Scripture. The God of Scripture is in partnership with us. And as we talked about last week, He is sovereign enough to take a billion, trillion decisions and actions and actually treat them all as certainty to work them out to His desired end. But that means that we are in partnership with Him. And so when we are, if we're not going to go over and look, we're not going to take the effort... Some of us are missing God speaking to us because we haven't taken the effort. When he went over, God spoke to him. Could it be that God wants to do more in your life than what you would anticipate, but it's going to take you going over to God? You're going to have to move from where you are to where he is and put yourself in a position where he can actually speak to you. And when he got there, here's the, the beautiful, God exposes who he is to him. He says, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. This is a holy moment. This is, anytime we meet with God is a holy moment. There is an attitude of reverence before God. And, and, and sometimes that was used to be equated with how you dressed. You used to come to church and you dressed up in your Sunday best or whatever. Uh, but what we know is that God looks at a heart. He doesn't look at man's appearance. He doesn't look at our appearance. He looks at our heart. What you end up having sometimes when you can dress up the outside is you can fake. You can think you're faking out God, but you can certainly fake out yourself and other people and think, well, you're acting in reverence to God. But here, I I know some well-dressed people that had no heart for God. I know some people that came every Sunday had no heart for God. And for us... What we're saying is, listen, I don't care if you wear a suit. You can wear a suit in here. You may feel a lot of place, but you're welcome, you know. You can wear a T-shirt. But what we're looking at, what we're looking for is people that say, I'm coming with reverence before God. I, I'm coming to meet with God. My time in the morning with God is a reverent time. I have an attitude of reverence for God. And God said, hey, don't come any closer. I want to I meet with you, but you can't get close enough right now because I'm so holy that uh, this power, you get too close to the power, he'll burst into flames, I think is basically what, he, what he's saying. He's protecting him, but he wants to meet with him. And so there's a moment of grace and a moment of power in meeting with God. And then in verse 6, watch what happens in the response He says this, he said, I am the God, Elohim, of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and God of Jacob. And this Moses had his face, hid his face, excuse me, because he was afraid to look at God. He goes on to say this. I was going to have a whole sermon on that. The Lord Yahweh said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. He identifies who he is. He says, this is who I am by name. But what we also see is we see God revealing himself by name and then also through his acts. Uh, what is he actually up to? Who's, what does this God care about? Watch what happens in verse 9. The cry, this is what God says. He says, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And so now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. What do we learn about this God? We learn three quick things. Uh, hit them real quick just so you can have them for your notes. The first one is that we have a God who hears. Remember what I said about Hagar? God hears the cries of his people. That means that God is responding when we pray. He sees oppression. He sees pain. And so we, when he does, he hears your cries. If you're crying out to God, God hears you. He hears you, but also God also sees you. We have a God who sees. He sees what's going on. And then what we also have is we have a God who acts. God heard the cries. He saw the oppression, and then he acted. Now, how did he act? He acted through people. Some of us would say, God, why don't you do something about all this pain and suffering in the world? Some of you, it's not the world. You're looking at your life. God, why don't you do something about this pain and suffering right here? And what you're asking is you're asking God to unilaterally come in and do something that He actually wants to use people to do. How is God most often seen in Scripture moving? Most often, He's seen working through His creation. Why? Because in Genesis, that's the way He set the whole thing up. He set the whole thing up to put us in a position, men and women, to be bearers of the image of God within creation, to be extensions as kind of vice regents with Him. We're supposed to act within creation, out of the character of God. And so we care about what God cares about. We care about justice. We care about proclamation. We care about generosity. We care about prayer. We care about those things. Why do we care about those things? Because that's who God is. Matter of fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 10... He took the character of God and he says, this is what you're supposed to do based on this. He said, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing, and you are to love those who are foreigners. For you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Basically, what we have for the people of God in Deuteronomy is what was happening all the way back in Exodus, and it's what happened in Genesis 1 and 2, where God says, this is who I am, and because of that, here's what you're supposed to do. So the God who hears, the God who sees, and the God who acts, guess who He's supposed to act through? All of us. That's how God most often chooses to act. And so when things are not remedied within culture, when needs are not met, it's not the government's fault. It's not the business people's fault. To quite honestly, it's not which economic system you're in, this country or that country is are the people of God going to actually be carriers of the character of God in our spheres to follow God's calling in our life? And that is a proclamation of the gospel because we can then become what we were designed to be. We were designed to be a holy priesthood, a royal nation, people belonging to God, so that we may proclaim the excellencies of His greatness and the world could be drawn into the restoration and the reconciliation that he provides. Well, let's finish it out, two verses, and then we're done. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Some of you, no doubt, are asking this question right now. Yeah, that sounds great, Dan, but who am I? And there's three things that possibly could have been going on in Moses' mind. I think there are three. Let's just throw them all three up there real quick, just for time's sake. It could be that his past failure, he's like, Who am I? Some of y'all are there. Everything I've done, what I've said, who am I for God to use me? Some of you, you've reached a place of comfort. We thought that what God was after was our comfort, that church is supposed to be about comfort. We don't, we, we've got to hear. We don't go any farther. I think he could have been talking about, well, I'm, I've kind of got like a little life carved out here, and that kind of is messing things up. That's a big deal. I mean, you talk about a career change, <laughs> you know, but I think some of it might have even have been his age. I mean, he's 80 years old. And he's like, well, man, that would have been great if you had caught me 40 years ago, you know. But, I mean, I'm tired. It's somebody else's turn. Call somebody else. It could have been the weakness that he talks about later about his inability to speak. There's a lot of different excuses. I don't think the actual excuse of what was going on in his mind was the most important thing. My question is, what's yours? What do you look to God and you say, well, God, I don't know. I I, I don't know if you should use me or not. When God meets with people, God is empowering you through his personal presence to actually do what he's called you to do. And how do I know that? Well, all you got to do is read verse 12, and we'll end with this. God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. God gives them the end of the story before he ever embarks on his journey. And he says, I'm going to be with you. How do you know you can do it? Well, because I'm with you. The one that is self-sustaining power, the one that's calling you, is the one that's going to go with you. And we see that story play out. And it's the same that is true of us. Whatever God is calling you to do, whatever step of faith. Some of you, it's as simple as just being baptized, quite honestly. I mean, we don't push anybody into doing something like that around here. I I don't try to strong arm anybody into doing that because it's got to be your conviction to do something like that. But some of you have excused why you don't do it because you're like, man, I just don't know if I can. Yeah, you can. You can. How can you do it? Because God will be with you to do it. Some of you, God's calling you to change careers. He, he's calling you to take a step of faith and become a part of a church family. Some of you, He's calling you to go and figure out how to uh, reach a, a, an unreached people group in a foreign country. Some people, He's calling you to start a ministry. Some of you, He's just calling you to get involved in a ministry that's already going here. I, I mean, I, it could be anything. But God speaks to you and He empowers you to do that. And He gives you the end of the story. He says, You know, at the end of the day, here's what's going to happen. You're going to worship me right back here. You're going to start here with me and you're going to finish with me. And I'm going to be there the whole time. So, what was the roadmap, real quick? Throw it up there, all of them, real quick. There was a time of preparation, a divine call, confession of weakness, promise of God's presence, and the awareness of being sent. Where are you in that, in your journey? Maybe you took a detour and it's time to get back on. I believe that God is meeting with us and he wants to reveal his goodness to us. So could you carve out just a second right now and get back on the journey with him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, God, that you're faithful and you're true. Lord, I don't know what you're speaking to people in here, but I know I can sense that your spirit is moving. This is a supernatural moment. And so I pray, God, that right now that people would hear you and they will go over to you and that you will speak to them clearly right now. For us as a church, God, we make a commitment, renew the commitment today, God, to do what you're calling us to do, to be obedient to your character, whatever it takes and whatever it means, God. And so God, meet with us, speak to us. Reveal your goodness to us. Would you just speak, spend a moment speaking to God? The worship team's going to lead us in just a second, but I want to give you just a second to have some time thinking, praying, and responding to God.